thankful tonight that we have the opportunity to share a moment in the Word of the Lord. And for the last few weeks, uh, we've been talking about how to restore a masterpiece. And I pray that God could speak something to you tonight, uh, as I feel He has spoken to me over the last few weeks. We're going to conclude our series tonight, but I want to take you back to our anchor verse, Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 10. I would pray that it would become so indelibly etched in your mind that you will never forget, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We are His masterpiece. And we've been exploring this idea, this thought of God's masterpiece, and that being our own lives. As difficult as it may be for some of us to envision ourselves in that capacity, we are, according to Scripture, we are His masterpiece. And we have been looking at the elements uh, many of them that are necessary in order to restore anything that has been damaged, uh, a work of art or a building such as Notre Dame that we have talked a little bit about. But the word that captured, captured my mind and my imagination was the word restore. I love that word because I believe it speaks so clearly to us of the heart of God. It means to return something to a previous condition, to bring back something that has either been lost or has been squandered, to give something back to someone or to put back in their life things that have been lost, whether it is self-worth or their own sense of purpose or meaning in life. God is in the business of restoring. And Paul declared that we are God's poeme, our poem, masterpiece. We are God's work of art. And when God created you and I, he created us with a mark of himself upon us. We, are, we, we bear the mark of the master tonight upon our lives. For Genesis said that we were created in his image and after his likeness. We have that stamp of the divine upon our lives. And we are an original. That's one of the meanings of that passage. We are an original. We are an original. There's not another person like you in the world. And God created you that way with a purpose. Now those who study such things will tell you that there are counterfeits. But any person that is skilled in restoring masterpieces is able to cut through the veneer and all of the facade and determine whether or not it is genuine. And I have come to tell you tonight that you bear the image of the Almighty upon your life. And you are 
and original. As difficult as that may be for us to wrap our minds around the amazing truth that we are God's workmanship. We are God's masterpiece. We are designed. We are created. We are completed. We are formed by him. The cause of our life originates from him. We have purpose and meaning. There was intent in his work. There was a plan in his work. There was a purpose in his work. There was provision in his work. There was precision in his work. There was a deliberateness about his creating of you and I. There is significance and meaning and value in our life. We are of importance to God and we must never let anything in life tear down that ideal in our minds. Allow that image to capture your imagination that God bending over, uh, intricately working the details of your life and with care and with concern. I am so thankful that I have a master at work on my life. I, I would not want a novice working on my life. I would not want someone who is just learning, but I want a master involved. God doesn't look at you and I as we look at ourselves, but he sees us not as a problem, but as potential. Now, we may be filled with problems and we may deal with problems in our life and we may be surrounded by problems, but when God looks at you and I, God does not see a problem. He sees potential. He sees a canvas on which he can do his great work. And he has wrapped his hands around our lives as the potter would wrap their hands around that moist clay in molding it and shaping it. And that's what you and I, many of you feel upon your life right now, is the gentle hand of God as he is molding you and shaping you after his own purpose. God is not trying to solve the problem of you, but he is trying to help you find the purpose of you. God doesn't come to solve us. He comes to save us. And I am so thankful for that, that he is my maker. He is my creator. And if Anyone should know about me and how to fix me and how to put me back in the right place. Then certainly it would be the one who created me. He has built us and constructed us in such a way that, uh, that we bear an, that, that divine image. And it is so good to know tonight that God is still working on us, that he's not through, that he still has a purpose for our life. He is putting his mind into us. That 
is a work of a lifetime for us, for God to put his mind. But every day that we live, God is working and shaping and putting into us his mind and his thought and his intention. And he is putting into our lives his strength and his power. And he is taking the chaos that may have defined us at one moment and he is rearranging all of that and making order out of it. I am so thankful. I am so very thankful tonight that there is a master at work on your life and my life. And he is highly skilled. There is no one else like him. And he knows what he's doing. You know, I, 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 I would hate to think that I was, uh, I, I was going in for a major surgery and, and the person who comes in to visit with me as they normally do before the operation would come in and uh, they, they would inform me that, well, they've not done this before. This is their first time, but they just pray everything would go well. I want somebody that's been there before. I, I want somebody that knows, that has the skill of hand, that when they move into the delicate parts of the body, they do not do more damage than good. I am thankful tonight that there is a master that is working on my life. And he has such skill that when he works, he works with care and concern. And when it comes to cutting something out of my life, God never does it arbitrarily or carelessly, but he does it carefully so that there's not more damage done to my life than the surgery would require. And I love the fact that he is a finisher. He is a finisher. John said it like this of Jesus. Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Philippians 1 and 6 said, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in me will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I am so glad that he not only knows what he's doing, but he's still working on me. And he is not finished with me yet, but he is a finisher. And he's going to finish what he started in my life. Over the last few weeks, we've been considering several different uh, points. One of them that we talked about was the, to be able to restore a masterpiece. You have to see the need for it. And not only have to, do, do you have to have the ability to see the need for it, but you really have to have a love for it. And I, I don't know of anyone who has greater love for us than our maker. And then last week I talked to you about knowing how to do it, having the skills and, and the ability to do it, and then having a plan and a purpose that there's got to be order to what God does in my life. I am so thankful that when God works on me, he does not work on me as I often work on myself. 
Because when something in my life pops up that I don't like, I have the tendency to want to cut it out or do away with it, not realizing that it's attached to something else. And so in the carelessness of trying to remove that, I damage something else. But when God is working in my life, He has a plan and there's an order that God goes through. And there's a reason that He does it that way because that's going to produce the right results. When they are restoring a masterpiece, they only start with a small section of a painting and and they very carefully use the solvents to take away all of the old varnishes and perhaps any other paint that might have been added. And they do it carefully section by section and it takes months and even years. I remember reading somewhere that when they restored the Last Supper that it took them many years to be able to finally complete the total restoration of that work because there was a plan. I'm so glad God operates from a plan when he's working on my life. But tonight I want to conclude by talking about the last two things and that is you have to have the means to do it. You you have to have the resources to rebuild. You You've got to have deep enough pockets. They they say that in the first few hours after the burning of Notre Dame that over a billion dollars in just the first few hours was raised for its uh, restoration. And when they started putting the numbers together, uh, it, it's mind-boggling that that number in itself, if it is restored to its original uh, place and, and still made safe, for the present and the future that it could take that amount or perhaps even more. And not only do you have to have the resources, but you have to be willing to invest the time because this is not an overnight project. This is not a one day and done deal. Most uh, uh, prognosticators say that it will take a minimum of 25 years to rebuild uh, Notre Dame. And some of them say that that's even uh, looking at it uh, with rose-colored glasses because of the many challenges. I don't know. I just know that in life that it takes someone who has the means, the financial means to do it and the time to do it. And so tonight, for just a few moments in conclusion, I want to draw your attention to the book of Philippians. And I want to, in particular, verse number 19 of chapter 1. Paul is grappling here with these Philippians about his own difficult circumstances. How things were going in his life. He was presently a prisoner and he he was being preached against by some and preached about by others. And uh, there there were so many conflicting emotions involved. And, and Paul was trying to comfort the Philippian church amid all of this turmoil that their leader, their, their spokesman, the apostle Paul was a jailbird. And how do you balance all of that out and have a good feeling about your church and your pastor when he's more, he's in jail more time than he's not? And, and, and so Paul is trying to help them understand 
that uh, it's going to work out, and he is confident of that. There is such an assurance in his tone, and Paul is he, he's, he's trying to help them understand that in the working out of all of these difficult details in my life, how things are going to turn out at the moment may not be, be clear, but he said, I'm confident of this one thing. He which hath begun a good work in me is going to complete it. And he saw victory because of two very important things. And in verse 19, he says, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of, of Jesus Christ. He is convicted, he is confident that the situation in his life, that he is going to find salvation, that there's going to be a way out of this, there's going to be a way through this, that God was going to take this and he was going to turn it and work it for their good. His imprisonment, even those that were preaching hatred uh, and preaching hostily against him, in the end, he said, it's going to turn out to my salvation. I am going to win in this battle. And I'm going to win because of two things, because of your prayer and the supply of the Spirit. The source of his confidence was in the prayers of his beloved saints and those that he had won. And what a great resource of strength are the prayers that go up on a daily basis around here for our church and for the leadership of this church. And I am thankful for that. But I want to tell you that even more importantly than the prayers of the saints was the supply of the Spirit one translation said, the generous help that the Holy Spirit gives me. The word supply is worthy of your study. If you would look at it carefully, you would find that it comes from a Greek word, which means to furnish whatever is necessary. To furnish Whatever is necessary to sustain someone and to supply, fully supply, and abundantly supply all that is needed for their present circumstances. To fully furnish them and to aid them and contribute to them every need that they would have for the fulfillment of their purpose. And the interesting thing about it is that the word that Paul used here, he pulled from the Greek culture. It's only used one other place in the book of Romans uh, chapter 1. But Paul pulled out of the world of Greek theater a word to describe the work of the Holy Ghost in his life. And he used this word supply, which is the word that we get our English word chorus from. And it was a, a, a play on words. It was a word picture for what Paul was talking about when he used the word supply 
was the fact that in that culture, in that day, that there would be uh, all kinds of, uh, uh, of entertainment and festivals that were put on in different cities. And it would take large troops of, of people working together, setting up the stage, putting up the curtains, and then the actors, and all of the things that went into putting together any kind of theatrical performance. And so when they would go into a city, somebody would have to go before, for them and pay the way. Somebody would have to go before them and take care of all of the expenses so that when the troop got there, when the entertainers got there, when the singers arrived, that they would have all of their needs supplied. The stage would be set, the curtains would be there, all the accompaniments would be there so they could put on a good performance. And so it came to mean any kind of donation that was lavish. And so it required someone of means to do this. Not just anybody could be a supplier. Not just anyone could be a benefactor of this sort. And so there had to be somebody that was able to pay the price and take care of the needs and underwrite all that they were doing in order for them to perform their task. And that's the word that Paul used to describe the work of the Holy Ghost in my life. That it is the supplier. That there is no lack or want or need in my life that he does not have the answer for. To provide generously and to provide lavishly is what it came to mean. And so Paul understood what he was saying when he said to the Philippians that I believe this is going to turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit. Paul said, my hope is not in what man can do, but my hope is in what the Spirit of the Almighty God can do in my life because God has resources that you and I know not of and God has ways and means to provide that you and I cannot even comprehend and so Paul was not depending on his own dwindling resources he was not depending on his own, depending on his own uh, ability or his own uh, thoughts but he knew that there was a generous source of supply that God had provided for his life and that was the power of the Holy Spirit in his life and so Paul expected he just expected that the Spirit was going to help him in his difficulty. The Spirit was going to work on him and provide. There was going to be the wisdom that was needed when wisdom was called for. There would be the prudence and the strength of reason and argument. Whatever I need, I just know that when I get there, somebody has already been there and paid the bill and paid the tap. So all of the resources that I need, 
need to fulfill my purpose are already in place. Could I tell somebody tonight sitting in your home that God has already gone before you and he has already set up the stage for you when you arrive at the scene. Everything that you need to succeed and and fulfill your purpose is going to be there. You're going to find doors open. You're going to find ways that are made. You're going to see God do what he alone can do. And that is supply all of your need according to his riches in glory. Amen. Let me just share with you a few verses, and I'm going to go through them very quickly, and they probably won't appear on the screen because I have too many of them. But I just want to share with you some pictures tonight of, of, of what Scripture says about our benefactor, about our underwriter, our God. Exodus chapter 34 and 6 says, And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Numbers 14 and 18. The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation. Psalms 86 and 15. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious and long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. Psalms 86 and 15 is a powerful verse to remember. He is long-suffering and he is plenteous in mercy and truth. Psalms 103 and 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. Psalms 104 and 24, O Lord, how manifold are thy works in wisdom hast thou made them all the earth is full of thy riches Psalms 130 verses 7 and 8 let Israel hope in the Lord for with the Lord there is mercy and with him is plenteous redemption and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities Romans chapter 2 And verse number four, or despise thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth to repentance. Romans 9, 21 through 24, hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to say one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that you might make known and that he might make known, I should say, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he hath before prepared unto glory, even us, even us, whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, 
but also of the Gentiles. Romans chapter 10 verse 12. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord, the same Lord over all, over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depth of the riches. Oh, the depth of the riches. Oh, the depth of the riches. Oh, the depth. I'm talking about a benefactor who has deep pockets. I'm talking about a God who has great resources, abundant mercy. And he said, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Second Corinthians 4.15 For all things are for your sakes that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. Second Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9 For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty we might be rich. Ephesians 1 and 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. The riches of his grace, the wealth of his grace, the deep resources of his grace. Ephesians 2, 6 and 7, and he hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might shew the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4 and 19, but my God, but my God, but my God shall supply, shall supply all your need, all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Colossians 1.27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. First Timothy Chapter 1 verse 14, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was exceeding abundant. Oh, oh, the grace of the Lord Jesus was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. When he poured out his spirit in my life, he didn't just pour a drop in my life. He didn't just pour a couple of drops. He just turned the bucket on me. He poured out his spirit. There was an abundance. It was exceeding. There was an excess of his supply. First Timothy 1.16, How be it for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first... Jesus Christ might shew forth all long-suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. First Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And my last verse, Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, 
as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, and not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I hope tonight that you understand that God not only has the means, He has the provision, but He has the time. He's long-suffering. He's patient He's gentle. He knows how to put us back together. He knows how to work out all the kinks in our life. He knows how to remove the smudges that life may have put on us. He knows how to take away the marks that sin may have left on our life. He knows how to restore us. He knows how to renew us. He knows how to revive us. He knows how to give us hope for the future. He knows how to help the hurting and he knows how to help those who are broken tonight. Whatever my need might be, whatever your need might be, God is able, whether it be more mercy, he's got more mercy. Some of you feel like that you're a failure tonight. During this COVID, it's been very difficult. People have fallen back spiritually. Some of you are struggling right now. I want to say this. Some of you are struggling tonight spiritually more so than you have ever struggled in your life. And it's been because of the isolation and the fact that we've not been able to fellowship and gain the strength of the body. But I'm here to tell you tonight, based upon the Word of God and what I know about Him, He is the master rebuilder. He is the master restorer. And He has all the mercy that I need. And if I have fallen, you know what mercy is? Mercy is something that you don't deserve. It is something that you don't deserve. It is something that you don't deserve. So get over the fact that you have failed him or fallen and understand that God has a remedy for that failure and that is abundant mercy. God has forgiveness. Abundant forgiveness. If you need some forgiveness, if you need more forgiveness, you feel like, Lord, I just, I just asked you to forgive me last week or yesterday or just an hour ago and here I am. That's all right. He has plenty of forgiveness. He has patience. I read to you how long-suffering he is. He is patient. Don't ever forget the patience of God. Not only that, but he has grace that is sufficient. Grace that is greater than all of my sins. Grace that is greater than all of my failures. And most importantly, he has a love for my life because I am his. I am his creation. I am his design. I have his image. I have his imprint on my life. And he knows how to make me what I need to be. To rebuild a masterpiece takes time. A lot of time. Takes a lot of resources. But I'm telling you tonight that the God we serve has both time and resources. And he is willing to spend time on us. You know, we get aggravated with people and they get on our nerves after a while. You know, they keep coming back with the same problems and keep struggling with the same issues. But I want you to understand that's not God. That's just man. With God, there is a patience. If I keep coming back to him, he is able to do what no one else can do. And the cost, whatever the cost is, he has the means to supply. You know, it takes a great deal of patience to restore anything. 
whether it be a, 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 an old piece of furniture or a life, it takes time. But let me tell you about the God that we are serving tonight, the God that I'm talking about, Romans 15 and 5. Now the God of patience... Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalms 86 and 5. For thou, Lord, art good. You are good. And you are ready to forgive. And plenteous in mercy unto all them. That call upon thee. You know the only thing that it takes for you and I to unlock God's resources. Is just open our mouth and call upon him. All it takes for you and I to access his divine power. Is just to lift our voice and say Jesus I need you. I would somebody would do that tonight. In your living room. In your home if you're alone. Or with your family. Why don't you just lift up your voice and begin to call on the Lord right now. God, I need you. I've got some things wrong in my life. There's some things messed up tonight. There's some things that are out of order. There's too much chaos in my life. There's too much confusion. There's too much turmoil. I need you to speak peace. I need you to bring joy. I need you to restore the joy of my salvation. I need you to restore in me me a, a clean heart create in me a clean heart oh God and renew a right spirit within me and bring me back to that place of power and purpose in my life in Jesus name in Jesus name and I pray that you will believe God that he is still working on your life amen God bless you we love you tonight I certainly hope to see you Sunday morning, 9 o'clock for those 60 years of age and up. Those that are 59 and younger will meet with us at 11. We're expecting a great move of God. I know that you want to be here. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a blessed night.